Welcome to this week's episode of the Triathlete Hour. We're talking to Australian 70.3 sensation Ellie Salthouse this week. And as always, Ellie's full of positivity and is enjoying the journey. Ellie talks to us about how she's found more success now than she did as a junior trying to make the Olympics and why being a happy athlete has made her a faster athlete. Plus, she's determined to become 70.3 world champ whenever world championships are able to be held again. And first, our managing editor, Emma Kate Lidbury, shares some tips about returning to swimming as pools and open water start to reopen. We'll share the workouts and training plans she mentioned in our show notes, so be sure to check those out. And you're going to want to subscribe to this and to our Fitter and Faster podcast wherever you get your podcast so you don't miss any training insights. I also wanted to note, if you listened to last week's episode where we talked about the upcoming 70.3 race in Lubbock, Texas, that race was canceled shortly after in light of rising COVID-19 cases. You can find more info about that news on our website as well. Now, all that after a short break. If you've been paying attention to what the pros are doing, then you've probably heard about Whoop. Whoop is a fitness wearable that provides personalized insights on how recovered you are and how much stress you put your body through during the day. Each day when you get up, Whoop gives you a recovery score based on your sleep, resting heart rate, and heart rate variability. And the way it works is you wear the Whoop band around your wrist all day. And don't worry, it's 100% waterproof. It even tracks your heart rate while you're swimming. You can then analyze your activity and recovery levels in the app. And you can use features like Strain Coach, which gives you target workout exertion goals tailored to your body's recovery for that day. You can even set to tell you when you've hit your target strain effort for the day, like, okay, that was good, now you can stop. There's also a built-in sleep coach, which lets you know how much sleep you should be getting based on your expected activity level for the next day. And it tracks all your different sleep cycles. Whoop is offering 15% off right now with the code TRIATHLETE at checkout. Go to Whoop, W-H-O-O-P dot com and enter triathlete at checkout to save 15%. Sleep better, recover faster, and train smarter. Optimize your performance with Whoop today. Okay, this week I'm joined by Emma Kate Lidbury, our managing editor, who also co-wrote with Jerry Rodriguez uh, the book Triathlon Swimming. And I think a lot of people know Jerry. He's Tower 26, a like open water swim guru. So EK here is going to tell us kind of some tips as everyone gets back in the water. You know, what are some big issues for people returning to swimming? What, you know, what are you hearing a lot from people who are worried about getting back to swimming? Yeah, I think it's... Uh... It's been a challenging time for people getting back in the, into the water because nobody's really taken this much time out of the pool before. <laughs> and I think, you know, even even when you, know, you take an off-season break, you might take two or three weeks out of the water. But, um, you know, taking 10, 12 weeks out of the water when you first return, it just feels horrible. And well, I think a lot of people had like that initial like first lap, whoa, I'm back in the pool. I feel great. And then it's like, oh, no, I don't. <laughs> um, so... So, and I think it's the same for everybody, I think. And I think there's obviously different factors that play into how, how swiftly you, you get back to feeling like feeling fit or at least feeling comfortable again. Um, but I know, you know, and, and obviously the sort of history you have with swimming and whether, you know, if you've just, if you're fairly new to swimming, it's obviously going to take you a little bit longer than if you're somebody who's been swimming since you're a kid and you've obviously got a lot of muscle memory and it's probably going to come back faster than it would otherwise if you were somebody who's relatively new to swimming. But um, yeah, we've been... We've definitely seen from our audience that yeah people are people are concerned people are anxious to figure out how to get back to swim fitness sooner rather than later obviously um, so we yeah we put together with Jerry we put together a three week uh, return to sw- swim fitness plan which um, yeah we we got on the website and uh, that's been very popular you know um, 
people very keen to learn how to how to maximize you know the swim time they now have and we'll share a link to that but um i think some of the key points were kind of focusing on technique like taking it easy when you start like work, like don't jump back in the yeah. pool and throw out 10,000 yards not that i think a ton of people are going to try and do that but yeah for sure like yeah just very briefly like week one was essentially just getting back and swimming low intensity um you know two or three times a week if you can if you have that availability week two was starting to add a little bit of intensity with some very short intervals and week three was making those intervals a little bit longer and varying some of the intensity that was that was kind of it in a nutshell but also aiming to try and get in the pool two or three times a week for three for three weeks and then by the end of that third week you sh- you should start to see some glimmers of something that resembles like feel for the water and and swim fitness so yeah there there's that to to guide you through and uh and obviously i mean you're talking pool but it's it's translatable open water or pool because some people uh have lakes available to them or open water and some people have pools but it's a whole reservation system like here it's a whole con- you had to put a like an alarm on your phone to get a reservation in time because it's yeah, crazy it's a whole yeah. thing <laughs> it's a whole yeah. thing <laughs> and i know yeah and i know uh we i know we've seen that people have been saying you know i only have a 30 minute slot or i only have a 40 minute slot right. in the pool um and the same you know and obviously if you and some people might not yet have pool availability and it's only a lake or ocean or whatever um so yeah in that three-week plan with jerry we did outline sessions for the pool and sessions for open water um i think the thing with open water is you just have to be a little bit more careful because if you haven't been swimming for a very long time and you're you're not the most confident of swimmers there's a safety aspect there that just obviously isn't there when you're in the pool so there's that to bear in mind yeah and typically we would tell people to open water swim with a buddy obviously open water swim with a buddy socially distanced now you know bring them along (laughs) but like stay 10 feet apart (laughs) Yeah, drafting on the feet, but yeah, not too yeah, not too far back, so you don't lose the drafting effect. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, how does that work? It's a little, it's a little tricky. Maybe just like keep them in your sight. So, yeah. um, and you're also having Jerry. I mean, this is going to air this podcast on Wednesday morning, and you're having Jerry on our triathlete live on Wednesday afternoon. So, for some people who listen to this early, see this is why you should subscribe to the podcast yeah, so you guys, get it right away. And so for those of you who listen to this early, you could still join us on our Triathlete Live uh, this afternoon. Tell us a little bit about Triathlete Live. You know, it's a chance for people to ask their own questions, right? Yeah. So we uh, we are streaming live via Facebook. Uh, we'll be chatting to Jerry for an hour. It's your chance really to, you know, join join the live and ch- type in your questions, via, submit your questions via Facebook. And we will put as many to him as possible during the course of, of that hour. Um, but yeah, really the, the idea behind the lives, which we do every, it's typically the first Wednesday of every month. Um, yeah, it's really, uh, the, the idea is to really give our audience access to experts, whether it's coaches, pros, you know, industry insiders, um, give, give our audience access to them in a live forum, which you can obviously watch later on a later date, but, um, that that's not something that is readily available to, in too many places so it's a great it's a great chance to ask your questions and have your questions answered by experts and we did one we did a happy hour one with meredith, meredith kessler and i think people also had drinks right at the same time so yes yeah meredith made her own cocktail i think she just got off the trainer or something and she like she was whisking up some kind of cocktail and uh while she was asking and she was answering questions very candidly um so yeah we've had some great guests we've had rinny we've had meredith kessler We've had Tim O'Donnell. We've had you know a host of different coaches. Um, so yeah, and, and I think you know the questions that we get vary are all over the place. Um, but I know that a lot of our audience have really taken a lot of value from that. 
Yeah. And so you can find that on our Facebook as an event. And then you can, you know, comment during, ask questions. You can send in questions beforehand too. Uh, we like kind of compile those. So yes, if you don't come today, come in the future, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. For, yeah. Like I said, first Wednesday of every month usually. And uh, the guests are, guests are all kind of experts that are here to help you. And is there anything else, you know, you're hearing from our, our audience, our listeners, kind of as we potentially see races on the horizon in the fall, in the you know late winter? I, I know a lot of people are concerned about not just the safety and the health aspects, but, you know, being able to swim enough in time, being able to bike outside uh, was a concern earlier. Now, I think most people are back outside. Kind of these these being prepared aspects are, are very concerning to a lot of us. Uh, a lot of our audience. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, still for so many of us or, or, or maybe for everybody, like racing is still such a big unknown. You know, we don't mm-hmm. really know when it's going to be, when racing is really going to be back on the calendar. And so it's a case of just, I think for a lot of people, it's a case of training, hoping and hoping that at some point in the future, race is going to be back, but really getting in touch with why you're doing what you're doing. Um, and I think that's kind of, been the common thread that I've seen from from our audience recently is that nobody really knows when they're going to be racing again but the important thing is to be training with a purpose and you know that that purpose is is more than just a race in a few weeks time because there probably isn't going to be a race in a few (laughs) weeks time so uh yeah it's good I think it's good for everybody in in some ways and in fact we when we spoke to Matt Dixon who'll be our who's who's going to be on our fitter and fitter and faster podcast this week uh, he was talking a lot about that, and it was very interesting to hear that. To kind of like refine your purpose, refine your why. You could always throw your own race. That's the other thing that we're kind of trying to like tell everyone how to do. Put on your own triathlon yeah. with your, you know, one or two people. to try, right? Yeah. DIY it. Um, and so we'll have more about that, you know, in the coming weeks. Well, thank you so much for joining us, EK, and for answering, you know, people's questions about swimming and training. And if you don't subscribe to uh, Emma Kate hosts a podcast, Fitter and Faster, every other Friday, uh, where we talk about training topics, really do deep dive. Like she mentioned, it'll be Matt Dixon this Friday. So if you don't subscribe, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, any of those places. Yeah, thanks, Kelly. We're triathletes. We like to know how we're performing and how we could be better. We want all the data. And that's where Whoop comes in. Whoop is a fitness wearable that tracks your heart rate, heart rate variability, sleep, activity levels, calories burned, and most importantly, recovery. Every day, Whoop gives you a recovery score based on how your body is recovered from the day before. So you can know if today's the day to tackle that huge workout or maybe adjust and pull back a little, take an extra nap. Whoop is offering 15% off right now with the code triathlete at checkout. Go to whoop, W-H-O-O-P.com and enter triathlete at checkout to save 15%. Sleep better, recover better, and train better. Get faster right now with Whoop. All right, this week I'm joined by Ellie Salthouse, the many times 70.3 champion, uh, former ITU racer, right? Yep. Yep. Um, and you are talking to us from Brisbane and we had to do like some weird math to figure out time zones, but you're like an internet, you're always all over the place in the world. How do you like keep track of where you are and, and what time zone your family's on? It sounds complicated. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty confusing, but, uh, thank God for like Google and <laughs> what's my current time zone into Google has been a frequent search. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, I do a lot of Googling to see where, what's current time in other places. And, uh, yeah, I'm pretty good at converting Australia to the U S now, especially from like mountain time to Brisbane time, because that's obviously where I spend most of my time, but 
yeah, it doesn't make it easy where we have like daylight saving and then everything <laughs> changes by an hour. So that's confusing. But yeah, a lot of Googling. A lot of Googling. My, my secret. Because <laughs> you were explaining, I mean, usually you spend half the year in Brisbane, which is like where you're from, and then half the year in Boulder with your coach and your team. But this year, obviously, you like weren't able to come back to Boulder because Australia has been on just total kind of no one in or out, right? Yeah, so typically at the end of March, I head over uh, to the US and I race Oceanside and then I go into Boulder from there and spend pretty much up until World, uh, depending where it is, usually like around September in Boulder. And then I travel back here for the Australian summer. Um, but yeah, I mean, right now where our borders are completely closed, we're not allowing anyone out or in um, unless you're a permanent resident or citizen. Um, but then still you've got to go into full quarantine for two weeks. So yeah, it's better to kind of just stay put at the moment. But we have finally, well, in Queensland, the state that I live, our borders are closed as well. So as a state, we have zero cases here of coronavirus at the moment. So we are keeping things pretty tight and on lockdown. So, so it stays that way. But yeah, we've been really lucky here. So you, I mean, obviously you didn't expect to be there that long. You're saying you're living with your dad now. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, living with my parents at the moment. Um, yeah, it's a little, I've been here a lot longer than expected. <laughs> Usually when I'm here, it's like, you know, five or six months, maybe less. And then I go back and and kind of do it that way. But it's been, I've been back for about nine months now. So it's getting like, you know, a little too familiar. I'm a little <laughs> bit of a nomad. So <laughs> I've been in one place for a little too long now. But it's been good. Yeah, Dad's, uh, Dad lives in a really nice location for training. So I've been really lucky. Well, that's good. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting talking to all you guys, all the pros. They're so used to traveling all the time. This like staying in one place is weird for them. Yeah, 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 I know. It's so weird. I actually unpacked my suitcase. <laughs> Usually I'm just living out of it and, you know, just repack it and have all the same things for, for the whole year. But this year I've, I've had to buy some winter clothes because I've never <laughs> been in Brisbane. I haven't been in Brisbane for 10 years in the, in the winter time. So all my winter clothes are in Boulder. And so I actually had to go out and buy some so that I could spend the winter here. But We've, we're very lucky here. The winter is very mild. I was about I'm to say, like, like yeah. <laughs> I'm in a t-shirt and shorts, and it's the middle of winter. Maybe a sweatshirt when I go outside. So, so you had to buy <laughs> I a can't sweatshirt, too much. right? Okay. Yeah, I had to buy a sweatshirt. <laughs> Got it. Okay, and and your coach is Siri Lindley, right? Right? Is that yes. right? And she's in Boulder. Yeah. So how are you, like, how does that work? How are you guys communicating right now? Because usually you would be with her squad, right? Training together all the time. Yeah, well, Siri stepped back two years ago right. to online coaching for the whole year. So I'm pretty used to it now. So even when I'm in Boulder, we see Siri maybe two or three times a week um, for some sessions, mostly swim sessions. She'll come to pool deck. But so, I, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty okay with it. Like when I'm back in Australia during those summer months, um, I'm obviously training here just coached by correspondents um, from the US. So it's not really any different to, to those other years. It's just like a longer period without Siri, which is not ideal. I mean, I really enjoy that face-to-face -face time with right. her and I find the feedback's really helpful uh, when she can be there. But I mean, I just got to deal with it. I think everyone's going through similar situations. Um, even if you, even if I was in the same place as Siri, we might not be able to even connect either face-to-face. -face. So, I mean, it's not really any different from being on the other side of the world. 
Right, right. So you're kind of in the same boat as like all the age group athletes who like fill out their training peaks and leave comments. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, training peaks like my best friend. <laughs> okay, and uh, let's talk about how you got into triathlon because, I mean, you actually are one of those people who's been doing it forever. You started when you were like 11, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. I've been in triathlon 16 years and I'm only 27. <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy. Um, but yeah, I got in 11 years old, just the local Wheat Bix kids triathlon. So we have like this, um, it's just a come and try kind of thing in the in the city. Um, all the major cities of Australia have, have mm-hmm. it. Um, yeah, and I actually saw the advert on the back of a cereal box, the Wheat Bix box, um, <laughs> which is like a common cereal here. And uh, yeah, I asked if I could do it and my parents signed me up and that was it. I Off I went. Um, it was kind of the off season from cross country, which I was pretty keen on. So, uh, yeah, I, I wanted to do that to kind of supplement just for something a bit different. Uh, and then, yeah, after that, I loved it so much that I asked if I could find a triathlon coach and mum found one in the local area and, and I was with him for 10 years. So, wow. yeah, it's been a pretty crazy journey. So, wait, 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 like every city has a kid's triathlon Australia. So it must be a really like triathlon must be much more common there. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty big sport here because, like, as kids, we all swim. Like, most kids know how to run, and then most kids learn how to ride a bike at a pretty young age. So, it's like a popular sport here. And yeah, every city has this kids' triathlon, which is obviously like you can, I think it's like seven years old or something is the youngest age category. And like, they're in a really controlled environment and everything. So, it's, perfect if you're a young kid um so yeah I mean hmm. yeah we all have them here and that's how I started and I think that's how a lot of people in Australia start um from that kids try oh yeah I mean maybe we should try that here and then we'll have like really good <laughs> try <laughs> well you have a lot more states there than we do True. <laughs> I mean, yeah in comparison we only have six so <laughs> All right. That's fair. Fair. But then, but then you got me, I mean, you're saying, oh, mom, I want to have a coach. I want to get serious at like age 11. Is mm-hmm. that also a common thing or is that a little weird? Well, I don't think it's too common, but okay. I've always been that kind of kid that if I'm going to do something, well, I was always that kid that wanted to, if I was going to do something, I wanted to do a hundred percent. It's kind of hasn't changed since then, but I really enjoyed cross country and I had a cross country coach, uh, I guess through school. So I thought that was kind of, if you enjoyed something that was like a natural progression, you got a coach, you got good at it. And then it went from there. So I think that was my thinking at the time, but, uh, yeah, I don't really know why I asked for a coach. I obviously had some like <laughs> some premonition as an 11 year old that this is what I wanted to do when I, when I finished school or, or whatever. So yeah, that was it. So then do you, so you just do like triathlon as a kid in clubs with a coach is a thing in Australia and then you just do races and you get better and you move up like the system. Is that how it works? Yeah. So there's lots of local races. Um, so there's a few different series here, um, that are maybe comprised of like five or six different races across the summer. And they're pretty local, like within an hour of Brisbane, Um, So I would initially, like once I got good enough to be able to race, I start with them and they're quite small, like they're catered for kids mostly. And then as I got better and older, um, the Triathlon Queensland, which is the state I live in, and then Triathlon Australia have a a really good um, junior program. So uh, from there, I went into like a junior development program at like 
maybe 14 or 15 and then like started racing on the ITU junior circuit, which is 16 to 19. Uh, and then from there you go under 23 and then obviously elites after that. So there's, it, you're pretty nurtured in the, in the junior ranks here. And like, there's a great program that you're, you know, it's really safe and, you know, enjoyable environment. You go on like camps and you have people similar ages and mm-hmm. coaches that are, you know, more catered towards the younger, the younger kids. Yeah. I mean, to us here, the whole Australian like junior talent ID thing seems so formal and so crazy and we don't have anything like that. So it's always like, whoa, that's nuts. Yeah, I know. It's a bit of a strange concept. It seems very strict to have those kind of programs for kids. But I think, you know, for me, it's definitely taught me my work ethic and like I'm very grateful that I was able to go through those ranks as, as a junior. Uh, I think it's a big part of, of where I am now. But um, yeah, I mean, it's not for everybody, obviously, but that's, I guess, why Australia is is so uh, good, strong think, in right? triathlon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of sports. I mean, a lot of sports have that same structure. So I think that's why Australia is really dominant in sports, uh, you know, as a whole. Yeah, I mean, especially for, I mean, you guys are smaller than, you know, California, which is where I used to live, and you get, like, more yeah. medals. So it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, and also I think a lot of the summer sports, because we have, obviously, as I was saying, we have a really mild winter, right. so we can pretty much, you know, swim all year round and, and do a lot of the sports most of the year here. All right, and, and you obviously did pretty well in that whole junior, now that we're, like, talking about the junior ranks, I mean, you ultimately <laughs> got a silver medal, right, at the Youth Olympics, so you must have yes, been wanting I, then to move on to the the adult Olympics, right? That must have been your whole goal. Yeah. So the Youth Olympics was my first international race in 2010. And I was just turned 17, um, first year racing pro. Um, and yeah, I got two silver medals at that, Olymp- at that Youth Olympics um, with obviously yeah, the big goal of being uh, the, the big Olympics. But um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I think uh, 2012, I was only 19, so maybe a bit early to go to the right. Olympics. Um, but yeah, I, after that, ended up not really loving the sport anymore. Well, the ITU side of things and um, yeah, ended up leaving the sport in 2013 um, with the idea of pursuing other avenues and completely turning my back on triathlon, um, which I did for about six months until I missed it too much. And then I I came back um, still with the goal of the Olympics. Um, that's when I joined Siri. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I just was never fast enough and never wanted it enough to be able to compete at the level that was required to go to the Olympics. I was going to ask you about the whole, like you always say you retired, but you were, you know, 20 yeah. years old and you were retiring. What were <laughs> yeah. you going to do instead of triathlon? Well, this is a little known secret, but I actually decided that I wanted to be a bodybuilder. <laughs> so I like fully went into the gym and I was working out and um, yeah, it wasn't as fulfilling as I thought it was going to be. I mean, I'm sure it is for some people, but for me, I just didn't have that competitive aspect that I was, was hoping for. Um, so I think my parents were kind of glad that I didn't end up pursuing that okay. <laughs> after I dragged them along to a few of those, uh, competitions and things, but yeah, no, I, I did want to do that, but that was short lived. Um, 
And yeah, I went back and studied my uh, certificates in personal training. I studied uni. Um, so yeah, I think a few different things, um, which in retrospect maybe made me miss triathlon and saw that the grass wasn't as green on the other side as I thought it was going to be. So yeah. What, um, when you decided, okay, I'm going to come back. I want to do triathlon. What did you do differently to like make you like it this time? Yeah, well, that was the biggest thing for me. If I was going to come back, it had to, I had to change something. Right. Um, I couldn't just get back into this rut that I was in before um, and, and not liking the life I was living or, the, you know, I didn't want to chase the dream anymore. So that was when I, uh, I found Siri. I actually contacted Loretta Harib, who's been a mentor of mine since a really young age. And uh, she's a, a silver medalist in the Olympics for Australia at triathlon. I don't oh, know okay. how many people know her, yeah. but yeah, yeah, I contacted okay. her. And uh, yeah, she happens to be Siri's best friend. So she put me in contact with Siri. <laughs> and uh, that's how it all happened. Um, so Siri was my biggest change. I left my previous coach of 10 years, um, joined Siri and her squad. Um, and yeah, she had a completely different coaching philosophy and you know, basically told me to pack my bags and that I was moving to Boulder next week. So <laughs> that was a big change. Uh, I, I was used to <laughs> used to spending my uh, my summer, well, my, the European summer in Spain, um, and then the, the Australian summer here. So I was then going instead of Spain to the US. So that was another huge change. And then I think just the environment of the squad that I was going to be in. It was a big shift from. Uh, entirely ITU athletes, younger athletes to maybe a little bit older, uh, mostly long course. Uh, I think I was the only ITU athlete at one stage to be in the squad. So it was just a different dynamic, um, primarily female athletes in the squad as well, which I think helped drive me and, you know, brought a little bit more competitiveness to the squad. Yeah, I was gonna say, what about it like really was different, you know, that made you like it again? Was it just the different people, different kinds of training? Yeah, I think I just needed a change oh. in uh, like coaching philosophy. I just needed a change in sessions. You know, you get into this rut where you kind of get the same sessions, like maybe not weekly, but they all start to kind of feel like you've done them before and, right. you know, you start to preempt what's going to happen and you know how it's going to feel and what you know what the outcome potentially could be and you just kind of get inside your head a little bit too much so I think having an entirely different training plan an entirely different coach with a different philosophy I think for me that's exactly what I needed I mean I still deep down loved the sport I loved <laughs> swimming cycling and running but I think I just needed that reminder of how much I did enjoy it and that it can still be fun um, just with just a change of stimulus a change of um, coaching group, a change of coach, you know, just like different training grounds. I think that was exactly what I needed. Moving to Boulder. That's what everyone does too, right? Yeah, everyone <laughs> needs that too. <laughs> I mean, that helps. It is very beautiful. <laughs> and, but you were still trying to make like the Olympics. You were still doing ITU. And then obviously at some point you kind of, I mean, I don't think you fully quit again, but you were pretty disillusioned with the ITU, right? Yeah, so I, uh, I'd raced, uh, I'd been under Siri from 2014 to 2016 as an ITU athlete. Um, and I really wasn't getting the results that I wanted. I was traveling all over the globe, living out of a suitcase and just not really getting anywhere. And I kind of, I was a bit, um, I don't know, I was getting frustrated that I, uh, I was putting in all this work and I wasn't seeing the results that I wanted. And I didn't really know why. 
Um, and I think what it was is I just didn't want it enough, um, okay. ultimately. And I didn't know that at the time um, until now that I actually really want to be the best at, you know, the distance that I'm in now. So I think looking back at that, it's, it's different. I have a different perspective on on the goals that I have. Um, so I think ultimately that was it. But at the time, I didn't know. So it got to the end of 2016. Um, Siri and I sat down and I told her, I think I'm going to need to either leave the sport or, you know, we're going to have to try something different because this isn't working. And I'm getting to that point where I got to back in 2013, where I ended up quitting altogether. So I didn't want to get to that point. Um, but I didn't really know what we could do differently to change. Um, and she suggested at that time that I try a half. Okay. Um, yeah, so that was when I did my first half in Penticton, Canada, so challenge half over there, and I actually hated it. <laughs> Why <laughs> I hated did you hate it? About it. Oh, no. Well, because I was still training for ITU and I hadn't properly trained for a half, it was just so painful, <laughs> so painful. Like the first time I'd ridden a time trial bike, I wasn't used to it. I wasn't, I wasn't used to riding that hard or solo for that matter and then I had to run a half marathon off of that which I'd never I'd never done a half marathon in training alone let alone in a race so it was just so painful the whole lot <laughs> that's so um, funny we I had couldn't Flora walk- we had Flora Duffy on the podcast and she said the same thing she was like it was just yeah. so long <laughs> yeah so long and so painful and just very lonely <laughs> Um, but yeah, I couldn't walk for five days after the race and thank God my dad flew over for my first one because he had to literally piggyback me for five whole days around <laughs> Canada. <laughs> so yeah, oh, not ideal. But clearly <laughs> but anyway, like, you got better. And yeah, you I got it. better <laughs> after that. Yeah. So Siri, basically after that, I said, no, no, I really don't like that. I don't want to do that. We need something different. And she said, no, no, like, I think you're going to be great at this. She said, just give it one year, which was 2016. She said, yeah, so it must have been 2015 that we sat down and had this chat. So 2016 was like a probation year where I'd give it one year, see how it went, if I enjoyed it, um, if I like wanted to pursue it. Um, otherwise, at the end of 2016, I'd walk away and, you know, be done at least trying it. Um, so, yeah, ended up having quite a lot of success in 2016 and then, found my niche, found my enjoyment back. And then, yeah, so that's how it's happened from there. (laughs) What do you think it is about 70.3 that you like better? Um, I like that it's a very individual sport. I like that the work, the, the work and, um, the work that I put in correlates to race day. So Mm -hmm. the harder I work, ultimately the better my results. Um, there's no small, like ITU, you can make a small mistake and it can cost you the entire race. You know, right. it's not always the best athlete that wins on the day. You know, there's so many other things that aren't exactly swim, bike, run that go into the outcome. You know, there's a lot of tactics. There's a lot of small rules that you can easily make a mistake and that's it. Whereas ITU, it's a longer, uh, I mean, uh, 70.3, it's a longer day. Um you know, it's individual, it's obviously non-draft. So I like that it's like most often the strongest athlete that wins the race. So it's very individual and it's it's very much about who's worked the hardest that ends up winning on the day. And you say, I like how you're like, oh, I had some success. I mean, you won some 70.3s like pretty quickly that year, right? <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, January 30th was my first uh, half distance actually having trained for the distance. Um, and I, I won there and challenged Melbourne. So that was a huge day for me because it kind of cemented into, into my brain that I could actually be good at this sport right. and it reminded me what it felt like to win, uh, which had been a little while. So uh, that was a huge day to have my, you know, my family, my friends, um, most of my family lived down in Melbourne and mum and dad were there. So it was all of us were kind of so relieved that I had had this success because <laughs> it had been a long time coming and it, yeah, it was, it was just a huge relief. Um, and then I went on to have a few more wins that year. Uh, I think four more wins, um, which was beyond anything I could have ever imagined. I had no idea I could have that kind of success, particularly in my first year racing, uh, racing on the 70.3 circuit. So for me, it was like this breakthrough year. And then all of a sudden, um, I just kept the momentum going and once I had it, it was just, it just kept rolling. And then I was able to get some incredible sponsors and like m my wildest dreams were just started to come true um, since switching to 70.3. Cause you started to like win, you started to do better, you started to get sponsors, you started to get a follow it and then that helps. And now you're <laughs> able to like do it as a whole, a whole living, right? Like a whole thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I no longer have to rely on my parents for financial help. Um, <laughs> uh, I, yeah, very independent now. And obviously, like, you enjoy things more when you're successful at right. them. Um, and it just proves, like, the, the harder I work, the more success I have. And, and I like that that correlates now, um, rather than feeling like, you know, you're stuck in this rut. So, I can actually see the results coming. And I think that actually has a lot to do with my IT days. Maybe that base that I built up through that is now showing finally, mm -hmm. you know, all that work that I did uh, early on. So I'm definitely, I don't resent any of the, the early days in triathlon, but now that I'm having the success, obviously I'm, I'm enjoying the sport a lot more. I'm appreciating the sport a lot more. I appreciate the lifestyle I can live from the sport and I appreciate, you know, the travel, the people around me, Siri, and the lifestyle I'm able to live from triathlon. Like I'm very lucky and I know that. Um, and yeah, I mean, all of that in combination makes me want to keep racing it makes me enjoy it you know like so, yeah I mean as I said I think when you're when you're successful at something you enjoy it a lot more yeah isn't that the whole uh, a happy athlete is a fast athlete right exactly right <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> and a much less stressed athlete <laughs> much less stressed athlete okay yeah <laughs> and you um obviously like you've been doing better and better and your big goal I think is like 70.3 worlds right like that's kind of you want to win that right Oh yeah, hundred oh, yeah. percent. I have my eyes set on that prize, <laughs> and it won't change till I get there. Yeah, I want to be standing on the top step of that podium at seventy point three worlds. And I know last year. I mean, I know you were there for like weeks before, and you were super prepped, and then you had like electronic shifting issues in the middle of the race. I like, oh. oh. And I know a lot that happened yeah. to a lot of people last year with the with the new electronic shifting. It was happening to a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, that that was probably my the most heartbreaking moment of my career, if not, you know, that one of yeah one of the hardest moments of my life. I I spent six weeks training in Nice on the course every single day. I knew every pothole, every bump, every crack in the road. I could tell you, you know, exactly. I got it down to the point where I had to break two times on the entire course. <laughs> I knew it so well. 
Um, and I had a dream swim. I literally came out. We came out 40 seconds behind Lucy. Uh, I was right next to Pamela, Holly, all the big hitters, right where I needed to be. Um, I couldn't plan the swim better. And then 10K into the bike, um, my gears started shifting themselves. Um, and then ultimately just completely shut off. Um, so I had all the mechanics. I had the, you know, um, team cars, everything coming up beside me and, you know, trying to help, trying to assist in getting me back uh, going again. But what ended up happening was we had to take the batteries out and I ended up riding a, a fixed gear. Um, <laughs> on that course. Yeah. <laughs> on that course. Any other course, it may have been okay, but that course, it was just a disaster. So, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't my finest hour and it took a bit of time to get over that. But, but yeah, you I actually having... finished. I was going to say you ran because I remember yeah. you actually mm-hmm. ran one of the fastest times of the day. And I remember Holly Lawrence, uh, for people who weren't there, um, was joking that she was like, oh, my God, like Ellie's passing me. How did I? I'm about to lose second place. But you were actually a lap behind. You were just running so fast. Yeah. Yeah, I actually had my fastest run ever. Um, and yeah, one of the fastest runs of the day, I think because I was so angry and so upset that I just kind of unleashed on the run. Um, but I knew how fit I was and I came into T2. I actually came into T2 with another athlete who was in the, uh, another pro woman who was still racing their day. And, and so I felt out of, out of respect that I had every intention to pull out in T2 and just kind of go wallow in self pity off to the side somewhere. But because she was still racing and obviously, you know, I, I didn't want to be disrespectful and pull out of the race and, you know, be one of those people that's kind of like, well, if I'm not winning, then I don't want to finish. So she was the reason actually that I continued the race. (laughs) Um, So I came in with her and then off I went and, and I kind of turned it around pretty quickly. And I decided that because I'm so fit and I was in such good form that why waste it? Why not get something out of this race? So um, I decided that I was going to have my fastest run, just see what I could do and prove to myself uh, if nobody else that I could, I could run what I, what I wanted to do and what I thought I was capable of. So, yeah, I mean, that's all I really wanted to do was just have my fastest half because I knew obviously the podium was a lap ahead of me. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it ended up not being, I mean, obviously I was devastated, but it ended up not being all bad. <laughs> right. Well, that's good. But then how, I mean, you just yeah. said, obviously it was really, really hard. How did you kind of come back from that did you give yourself the like 48 hours to cry and then like how did you you know bounce back yeah I mean it took me probably a good six months to get over it (laughs) to be honest (laughs) I yeah it was I had all my eggs in that basket I had you know that gold medal was yeah in my head it was already mine before that day even started so it was really hard to come back from but I called Siri only 30 minutes probably or an hour after the race, crying my eyes out. She could probably she barely understand me, but she said to me, look, I want you to go home right now. I want you to book flights to Mexico and there's another race in two weeks and you're going to be on the start line uh, in Cozumel. Mm-hmm. So I did. I went and entered. I booked my flights that, that night. And yeah, we ended up, I went on a nice vacation with my family around Europe for a week after the race and then, got home and then the next day I jumped on on a flight to Mexico and 
and that was it. You know, I didn't have time to think about it or wallow in self-pity. It was just a case of getting back on the horse and, you know, moving forward and putting it behind me. So, yeah, I had a few other successes overseas um, straight after. And then, yeah, it, was, it wasn't until I got back to Australia and took my off-season and took a break that I really thought about what had happened and it kind of hit me. Um, and yeah, I mean, it really helped talking to Siri about it and she it was totally understandable that, you know, those things take time to get over. So yeah, I mean, it was a really devastating time, but yeah, now I'm past it and I think the only way is forward and <laughs> now it's made me more hungry for a world chance again. So that's yeah, I mean, it. I would imagine you probably then were like, all right, this year, 2020 is going to be my year and now... It's like now there's nothing on the calendar, right? So are you just kind of like, Ooh, yeah, like push it a little further? Yeah. Well, I think every athlete thinks every year is going to well, be yeah. their year. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, we still hopefully get the opportunity to race a world champ. Well, next year we get two, hopefully. So even more chances of being a world champion next year. So, um, but yeah, I mean, there's still the PTO. Uh, championship hopefully in December and then we have the Ironman 70.3 hopefully in February so there's going to be two opportunities by February so not all is lost and this is the perfect opportunity to train for those um, while there's no racing we can have a nice big block a nice big lead-in so I think it's actually almost perfect prep for you know a race in December because we can just get all this base mileage done. <laughs> so you are going to do then the the big PTO half world championships in Daytona is your plan? Oh, yeah. Oh, I would yeah. not miss that. All the best athletes in the world in one place. That's like, oh, that's like Christmas to me. <laughs> <laughs> I do think it's going to be cool, no, though. I They're doing that. it like around the Daytona track, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the Challenge Daytona course from last year, I'm pretty sure it's the same as that. So okay. you, you do, yeah, multiple laps around that. Um, and I think you even maybe go out of the stadium for some section and then back in a bit and a few laps around. And then I think the run finishes there as well. So it's pretty much all based around the Daytona track. It's going to be really cool. Yeah, no, that'll be fun. And uh, and hopefully you guys can leave Australia by then. That would be good. I, I <laughs> hope everybody can get there by then. But, you know, we'll never know. I mean, obviously, health and safety is my priority especially like with the travel and you know the hotel rooms and all that and all the athletes in one place at one time so obviously it's going to be touch and go as to whether it's uh safe for everybody to be there but I really hope so I really hope we're able to race at least a race this year um hopefully it is the Daytona race but yeah, I mean, if it's not safe to go or safe to travel, then I've got to kind of weigh that up and look at look sure. at all the options. Yeah. And you're, um, I mean, you always have like all kinds of crazy travel pictures on your Instagram. Like you went on some huge <laughs> vacation after the off season last year with your boyfriend. I'm pretty sure, right? I remember seeing all these like rainforest safari pictures. So now being able to travel must be like pretty rough right now. Yeah, I mean, this has been really unusual for me. It's actually been kind of nice to be in one place for an extended period of time. You know, it's been nice not to have to pack a suitcase or pack my bike for a little while. But now I'm kind of getting itchy feet. Like I'm used to every two weeks or three weeks, you know, kind Mm -hmm. of going somewhere. 
and yeah, I mean, just not being able to see the world has been hard. You know, I, I like traveling. I like moving around. I like racing around the world and, and I like holidaying. I like seeing new places and yeah, it's been difficult, but I know that everybody's in the same boat. So I, you know, I can't complain about that, but I'm just trying to enjoy being home and do a little more of the things that I wouldn't normally have time to fit in while I'm, while I'm back in Brisbane um, get to see more of my family and friends. So that's been really nice. Um, aside from the, the winter that I've got. Right, this aside year, from the winter, the hard been, winter. <laughs> yeah, the really difficult winter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, it's actually been, it's been, it's been nice. Um, and if we, you said you're putting in like all this work right now and that, you know, 70.3 is a reflection of how hard you work. Give us like a, what's a regular week? I know I hate when people ask that cause every week's different, but like, what is, how much do you train? How many hours? Like people, people want to know. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't feel like I, my training is definitely not as intense as it is when I'm in like a race block or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's definitely a lot more mileage. It's probably 25 to 26 hours a week, uh, just a lot of mileage, not too much um, intensity or speed work, um, just a little bit to kind of keep in touch with that side of things. But, yeah, I mean, it's a lot more enjoy enjoyment-based. Uh, so there's a lot of coffee rides and there's group <laughs> rides. And, you know, I'm just, like, trying to enjoy myself, you know, run on new trails and, you know, things that I wouldn't normally be able to do if I was in a race block. Um, so yeah, it's, it's everything that I enjoy about training. I'm trying to put into this time, um, just to remind myself of why I love it so that when I do go back into that intense block, you know, my, my heart and my mind are kind of refreshed and refueled and I'm ready to go. I feel like you're always so positive. I feel like that's what everybody's like, Oh, Ellie's always so happy. Always so positive. (laughs) How do you like stay oh. so positive? Yeah, you're always like smiling at races. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, I think for me, it's my way of dealing with nerves. I think that's my way to deal with it at racing, especially. So before the race, I like to crack jokes. I like to try and think I'm funny. And <laughs> I'm that one on the start line that's trying to crack all the funnies, and everyone's like, oh my God, not her again. <laughs> but I think, you know, like, when you love what you do, it shows. And I think for me, I, I really enjoy my training. I enjoy my racing. Um, I'm in a really good place. Um, you know, personal life, my, my work life, like everything's just kind of in a really good place. And I think that shows, and I think that's why I can be positive all the time. I mean, I'm not all the time, trust (laughs) me. Like there are moments where I just sit in a room and I'm like, (laughs) but I, you know, for the most part, you know, it's easy to be positive when you're enjoying what you do. Um, So I think that's probably like the biggest thing for me, but yeah, race day is definitely my way of dealing with nerves um, to always try and be positive. And, you know, if I have a disappointment, you know, in the race or, you know, it's a disappointing result or something. I try not to show it as much on the outside. I'm more, I'm more of a go away and cry kind of person rather than <laughs> just because, uh, I, you know, it's vulnerable. You know, I don't always want people to see that vulnerable side of me, um, especially if it's, you know, performance-based because it's very personal to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, you know, the people closest to me sometimes get the, those parts of me, but, yeah, I mean, for the most part, I'm a happy person. <laughs> for the most part. Well, that's good, you know? Yeah. yeah. What do you think? Uh, I mean, you obviously, you're only 27, but you've been doing this for, for like 16 years. So what do you think you've learned <laughs> in that time that like you're doing differently now? 
Um, I think there's a lot more enjoyment in my training than there ever was previously. Um, I think one thing I've learned is that you can't always be uh, fixated on an outcome. You've really got to just enjoy the journey, especially during times like right now where there are no races on the calendar. Um, you've got to just remind yourself why you love it and just do all those things that make you happy. Um, yeah, I mean, I used to be as an ITU athlete or as a younger athlete, I was so strict. I was so, uh, there was such a routine that I would never stray from it. And mm-hmm. I think for me that almost made me lose enjoyment just because it was so strict and I never felt like there was any enjoyment in it. There was no time to have fun or go out or be with my friends. It was all just this, you know, single-minded, you know, um, attitude towards this goal. And obviously I have that now. I, I have these <laughs> these huge goals that I'm trying to achieve, but I've realized there's more than one way to get there and you don't have to, you know, sacrifice all the things all the time. You know, there's, there's definitely balance. And when I'm happier, I'm racing and training better anyway. So I've definitely learned that along the way. Um, happiness is probably the biggest key to being a successful athlete. Yeah, I know. Um, you've sold me. I feel like now we all just need to go be happy. So. <laughs> go be happy. Find <laughs> what makes you happy. Um, I was. I usually would ask people like what their goals are for this year, kind of. But obviously, this year is sort of weird. We've already, you know, established that. Yeah. Um, we've been finishing up our episodes with a "Would you rather?" Okay. So here's my weird one for you. You ready? Okay. Even yeah. like we've been talking about. Would you rather there were races this year? But only in Australia. You still had to, you couldn't leave Australia, or okay. you could leave and you could travel, but there were no races. Oh, 100 percent race in Australia. <laughs> you know, funny you ask because I actually think that the Ironman 7.3 Sunshine Coast may go ahead in September. In which case, because the Queensland borders are potentially still going to be closed, right. it may only be Queensland residents who are allowed to race. 7.3 in Sunshine Coast. So not only Australia, it'll just be one state. <laughs> You're like, but it's a very competitive but, state, to be clear. It's like where all the exactly. pro athletes live. Yeah. yeah, very competitive, but I will be there. Come hello, high water. <laughs> I don't care who's on that starlight. I will be. Okay, all right, all right. But yeah. But <laughs> no, I think that is actually probably what's going to be happening a lot, right? Like local races, so... Yeah, I'm not really sure how they're going to do like the qualifying mm-hmm. side of things because it's, it's, you know, there's that question of is it going to be fair if you can qualify for a world champs if only one state in one country is, <laughs> is able to race. But I mean, it's a race and I think so many people are going to be there because, you know, they're just itching to race. So it's going to be good. It's going to be like this, you know, buzz because I think everyone's just so excited. See, they just canceled Boulder 70.3 here, and maybe they should have just made it only be the people who are in Boulder. It still would have been super competitive. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> but I think until, like, coronavirus is fully under control, yeah. then, you know, it's probably best not to be in a crowded space Probably, right now. probably. I mean, racing with a mask might not be <laughs> might not be the greatest thing. No, that would not be good. Um, yeah. But I'm glad, see, you were able to see the positive no matter what. So. Yeah. <laughs> well thank you there so you much for for chatting with us and and talking to us and you know good luck i hope you win 70.3 worlds next year thank you yeah i mean that's definitely the goal so let's hope we can get there but thank you for having me it's been great to chat 
Thanks to Ellie and EK for chatting with us. Thanks to our staff and to all of you for listening. Have fun, stay healthy, and be happy.